So we'll make yourself comfortable finding a, a posture that feels as comfortable as you can make it without being lazy. <laughs> um, straight spine, but not rigid. You can settle into feeling at ease and alert. And I'd like to encourage working with uh, Brahma Viharas this morning. And I tend to use the, the words that are repeated often in the texts describing how to do this practice. And it starts with, may I Let's see, how does it go? I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. So what that tells us is that first we want to imbue the mind with loving kindness. So inspire the mind. Fill the mind, imbuing it. So how, how does that work for you? How do you do that? And if you've practiced this for many times over a long period, then you probably have of established the cues to the mind, you know what to what thoughts to bring up or what images and that help to already fill the mind with that experience of metta, kindness, an impartial love, caring for all beings. But if that pattern hasn't been established so deeply yet, then you may need to find another mechanism, some, some way to really invite the mind into that space or filling that whole experience of awareness with kindness. So thinking about some time when you've been kind and how that's felt or someone, some action of someone else's kindness towards you, how, how that felt. Or the image of someone or some living being, even, even those plants in the garden that you feel kind towards, you want them to thrive. 
You want the, the pets in your life or the children in your life or even those you might imagine who you don't know at all to be happy, to be cared for, and kindness towards them. And when I recite those words internally, I will abide pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness. It's the imbuing of the loving kindness in the mind already happens. You just it's a, it's a felt sense as well as a thought. A certain energy, a certain tone in the mind. And inviting that to fill one quarter of the space. And for me, that's the front of the body, starting at the center core, like there's a core of energy running through the body from the top of my head to the bottom of the feet and fanning out in front of that, this area filled with that energy of loving kindness. You might find yourself sort of breathing into that Breath energy can also be carried in the same way, filling that space by our, our volition, by our intention. And also filling then to the right side, the second quarter. And the third quarter behind us. In the fourth quarter to the left and completing the area all around us, connecting to that first part. We really Noticing what you feel when these suggestions are made to the mind. And everywhere above us, like a dome above, above us and everywhere below us, completely enveloped in this sense of loving kindness. And 
I'm doing this after we've all kind of checked in and said hello to one another and we feel the the kindness towards one another and the, the gladness for the good that's happening in people's lives and it's a good basis or starting point to have this sense of loving kindness throughout our whole being and around us. And sometimes we might do this as a meditation on the heels of having a very different kind of mental state, agitation or worry or irritation or anger even. And it's just amazing how what we decide to think about can change our experience so much. And we can train the mind to be happy. Of course, that does not intend to imply that we would ignore our problems or not take care of them or blind ourselves to what's really happening in the world or in our lives, but to know that we can direct the mind in ways that are wholesome and give us even more capability and stability, strength and courage to handle what's happening in our lives and in the world. And resting in this feeling of kindness is healing for the body and the mind. And as we keep that awareness on kindness, that felt sense going and 
let it grow, increase, and expand. Like filling a huge jar with water and letting it overflow. Can go out in all directions. As far as our imagination can take it. Spreading over the entire world. For now, our imagination can go quite a bit further than that. Throughout the world systems. My Qigong teacher used to say, the imagination leads the mind and the mind leads the qi. This heart, this mind of loving kindness isn't personal. It's not me and my mind, but the ever expanding process. or limitless, boundless process that's more accurate. And then we can choose to shift the tone slightly and abide with one quarter with the mind imbued with compassion that compassion that wish for the relief from suffering for ourselves and for others. And seeing what images or words that we can bring to mind that helps to imbue the mind with compassion. And how does it feel different from loving kindness? For some people, you might even notice a change of color, change of tone.
And the kindness doesn't go away, it's also there. If the attention is on compassion, and we feel it throughout that first quarter, and then the second. And the third, and the fourth, connecting again to the first quarter, and above, and below. around and everywhere. And to strengthen that sense of compassion, we might think of one person or one living being, maybe someone we don't know or someone we know, and really have that deep wish for their safety and well-being, for their relief from whatever suffering is in their experience, their life. And there's no sadness in it. It's true compassion is this uplifted, heavenly, glorious, mm, that's not quite right, is it? It's. Um, from the, the heavenly sense. It's, an, it's a positive, uplifted, inspired, felt sense. It's onward leading, upwards lifting, and expansive, expanding beyond and beyond to limitless, boundless, immeasurable, And when we feel that boundlessness of these qualities, then we can begin to sense how these states of mind can lead into incredibly deep, still immersion of the mind, of the heart.
And then again, we can choose to shift the tone, this time to appreciative joy. And imbuing the mind with that gladness, that joy for the well-being and good fortune and good qualities, good choices. for ourselves and for others. Abiding with one quarter, pervaded by that mind imbued with appreciative joy, with mudita. And the tone changes a little bit again. A little different from loving kindness or compassion. Filling that whole quarter and then the second. And the third. And the fourth. And above and below. around and everywhere in all directions, pervaded with this mind, imbued with appreciative joy. Genuinely, completely happy for the goodness that we see the goodness we experience in ourselves and in others. Truly uplifting to the world. Truly selfless. And this joy expands in all directions, overflows and pervades the entire world. The entire cosmos, limitless, boundless, immeasurable,
And then we intentionally shift the tone one more time. And this time to equanimity. So that whatever comes, the mind is stable, steady, unwavering, calm, at ease, unshaken. but also wise and understanding. Imbuing the mind with that quality of equanimity, opaca, accepting, And the kindness is still there. The compassion is still there. The happiness for goodness is still there. But the foremost sense is equanimity. the way of being present with the suffering that exists in our lives, in our mind, in the world. Actually, in the mind, it doesn't have to reside, the Buddha said. For him, it didn't invade the mind and remain. This is where we have the choice to train the mind. We know it, we see it, but we don't take it on. Instead, the mind is filled with equanimity understanding, wisdom, and this also has a different feeling to it. And we abide pervading one quarter with this mind imbued with equanimity. And when we, we relax into it, likewise, the second, and the third, And the fourth,
and above us and below. and everywhere all around. This peaceful, solid, clear. Sense of stability. Expanding out in all directions. Encompassing the entire world. Boundless equanimity. Measureless. a state of mind that can be present with anything, everything. Wisdom and knowing. at ease.
Today, I want to talk a little bit about regret as a basis, as an example for um, training the mind to be happy. It's kind of like the general theme is, um, you know, there's really so much, so much power and, and ability in how we direct the mind and how we can observe these patterns and habits that we have, these mental habits, and see when there are patterns that are actually debilitating and um, toxic that we can change. I actually decided to use the Brahma Vihara meditation because it's such a, a good direct example of how when we direct the mind in different ways, it just changes the whole experience in our body and mind. And I'll be interested in hearing about what your experience is of that and how that um, is felt. and. Of course, there are a lot of times when the mind is on automatic or we're just operating out of our conditioning. And we may even feel like we have patterns that we can't change. And so I, I really um, think it's useful to investigate that in ourselves, but also looking at the suttas and what the Buddha says about it. So there's, there's a sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya. I think it's, it's in the Book of Fives, and I think it's 142. I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but it's, it talks about, uh, no big surprise, it's in the Book of Fives, <laughs> the numerical discourses. So he talks about five, five kinds of people. And he says that... Um, the first kind of person is someone who, well, in, in Bhante Sujato's translation is transgresses, you know, like you do something wrong. And particularly in the sutta, it's looking at someone, a monastic who's breaking some rule in the monastic code. But we can look at this as, you know, what any of us might do that's unskillful, right? So you do something that's unskillful, breaking a, a precept. And he said, so this person does something unskillful and then they regret it. And he said, the second type of person does something unskillful and they don't regret it. The third type of person doesn't do something unskillful and they have regret. And the fourth kind of person doesn't do anything unskillful and they also don't have regret. And we haven't gotten to the fifth person yet because there's an actually a little clause I left out of the first four. The first four each time the Buddha says, and I'm, I'm just gonna look at the, the language in the translation at least, that for each of those cases, they do not understand the freedom of heart freedom by wisdom, where those bad, unskillful qualities cease without remainder. 
And then the fifth person doesn't transgress. They don't have regret, but they do understand the freedom of heart, the freedom by wisdom, where those bad and skillful qualities cease without remainder. So the first four are, you know, the unenlightened, un, we're not arahants. Okay, so whatever, whenever we find ourselves falling into one of those four categories, you know, it's pretty understandable, normal, uh, the kind of thing we do. And the fifth one is the person who's completed the path and they know how the heart is free from, you know, all of that. Um, doing things that involve, you know, making negative karma and having any kind of regret over it. Now, what's interesting about this sutta is that the word in Pali for regret is not the same. It can be, it can be um, translated as regret or remorse, but it's not the same word as is used, for example, as a hindrance. When we, when we look at the fourth hindrance, Uddha Kukacha, you know, Uddha Kukacha is that restlessness and remorse. This is a different word. This word is vipatisara. Vipatisara is, um, in the dictionary, I'll even say bad conscience. And it's certainly very different from hiri. You know, hiri and otapa are considered to be the guardians of the world. That's, that's, the, that's the conscience that, you know, we know we've done something wrong and we want to change it and we... Um, have the the fear of doing things wrong that, that that's a whole those are wholesome qualities but this kind of regret is that kind of like going back in the mind or the mind continually going back to something and beating ourselves up over something we've done and you might know how it feels when what we did wasn't even that bad or it wasn't really something wrong. Maybe it was just something somebody didn't like or something we felt like it was kind of stupid or whatever, and we're still like beating ourselves up for it. So it's interesting to me that the Buddha talks about this as a negative, like this is a negative, down-pulling, limiting, um, debilitating kind of mental state. And... It's interesting because in the sutta, he, he says this thing about the five kinds of people. And then he talks for each one, like how, if, if you know, like this is your kalyanamita, how you should talk to them about it. So in the first case, the person does something unskillful or they transgress against some precept <clears throat> and they feel regret this unwholesome kind of regret. It's not the regret that says, oh, I shouldn't have done that and I'm not gonna do that in the future, right? It's this beating yourself up. And then he says, what you should say to them is the defilements born of this transgression exist in you. And the defilements born of this regret, this unwholesome regret exists in you. And it would be good if you let 
both of those things go. Let them go. And then when you get to the person who's done the unwholesome or the transgression and they ha- and they don't regret it, you know, like, I don't know, I would kind of think that that's even worse <laughs> in a way. But no, you know, what you say to them is, oh, the, the defilements born of that transgression exist in you. And you should let go of it. So you can really see how the Buddha saw this kind of regret as toxic. It's like that's even more of something to let go of, you know. And and then the kind of person who has regret and they haven't even done anything, you know, this is this is even like, okay, you know, like you really the the defilements born of this regret exist in you. You should let them go. And, and in each case, and of course, there's the last one where there's no, no transgression and no regret, and there's nothing there to let go. But you say each time, you should also say, as you do this, you'll become more and more like that fifth person, the one who has come to the complete understanding beyond this um, idea of transgression and regret, or not just the idea, but actually doing it. So the the fully enlightened, when you're fully enlightened, I mean that, when you are fully enlightened, (laughs) or when I am fully enlightened, then there's there's no unwholesome action because there's no greed, hatred, or delusion anymore. So there's no making kama anymore in that way. And regret is also part of that unwholesome package, you might say. So that's also finished. So then when I think about, okay, we need to understand how to actually make this happen. Like how to really understand it. So if you can think of a time maybe for you yourself, where you've done something unwholesome, like there's a transgression, whether that's something with our speech or whatever it is, and there's regret, like trying to see, well, what are those defilements that are born of this transgression and what are the defilements born of this regret? And you kind of start to unpack it, like in specific instances in our own experience. Like for myself, I have done, I've probably been all four of those people. (laughs) Maybe we all have, right? And I certainly know the one where without transgression, I still regret. (laughs) I was like, oh, then I did that. And that was really stupid. Or I said that thing, right? And it's like, but what are the defilements that are born from that regret? And one that comes up really obviously is this sense of self. You know, like there is so much self there. Oh, I said that. (laughs) I did, you know. And that can hang around for years. I mean, we can, you know, and the, and the reason it does, and this is really important, I think, to look at our mental patterns. Because if we, if we keep, if we like 
go back to something and we have that kind of bad conscience or um, negative kind of regret, then that thought brings up a certain feeling, right? And when we come back to that again and again, it creates a pattern. Every time we come back to it, it, it reinforces that pattern. So every time something happens or the mind goes to something that then the next thought that triggers that memory to come up of that unwholesome thing that we did or that and that regret comes up, then we've reinforced that pattern of going back to mull over it. And then the question is, okay, so that's the kind of the defilement. It reinforces self. It reinforces I'm like this, or this is how other people treat me, or we can expand this. We can apply this to other mental patterns that bring us down, that keep us from seeing reality as it is. So when we notice this kind of mental pattern, then, you know, we may, we may have this idea that we can't change it, but we have to let go of that too and look at, okay, now what is, what is it that I can do when that comes up to be able to replace it? So this is where I think the sutta on the removal of distracting thoughts can really help. You know, like these different methods for how you work with your thinking. And one really powerful one is replacing that thought with a different wholesome thought. And sometimes kind of depends on what the example is, but sometimes we can look at that negative, that regret, that thought of regret. And we can bring in some wisdom that counter, counteracts it. Because there's a distortion there that we want to shed light on. We want to um, correct. And one way is to recall other things. So, Recently, I mean, people talk, talk to me about these kinds of things. And sometimes, like, for example, one of the ways that people often beat themselves up is when they've been taking care of someone that a parent maybe who's dying. And then afterwards, there can be a tendency to go back over the process and think of things they wish they had done differently. And you can have a lot of regret around that. And this would be that unwholesome kind of regret. So it's like looking at that and thinking about all the things that they did that were helpful, the ways that they tried, the ways that they didn't know certain things. And maybe even looking back, you can't know for sure what should be done. So, you know, it's like to be able to bring the the other side of it into the mind could be one way that you start to disrupt this pattern of thinking. And I'm sure there are many other possibilities, but what we want to do is whenever that thought arises, that regret, 
that we see the defilements there, really look into it. And that might be kind of, you know, like the first, the first one that I mentioned is kind of like that pushing out the old rotten peg with the new peg, you know, like pounding the new peg in there. You bring something positive, you bring something more balanced to it. But the second one, I think it's the second one in the list, whatever, wherever is in the list, you know, looking underneath, you know, what's the cause of this thought? What's the cause of the cause of this thought? And really digging into like, where is this coming from? Actually, I think that's probably the third one. I think the second one is seeing the toxicity of the, the, of the thought. And so it's like, all of these things are applicable. We have to learn how to work with it in ourselves because we have to, we have our own kind of a brand, <laughs> everybody. <clears throat> Maybe we have a few of these kinds of patterns, you know. Maybe it's not just regret or unwholesome regret, but it's other things. You know, really learning how to see the underlying, the limitation, the, the unwholesomeness of these patterns. And sometimes we've been taught to think this way. And that it's a good thing. Um, you know, really review all the mistakes that you've made in order to get better. You have to look at, is it making me better? Is this really, is it Hiri? Or is it this other thing, Vipatisara? To really make that distinction. And, and then see, like, okay, what's the way that I can free the mind? from this pattern that's been there probably a long time. We have to have a lot of patience and endurance. And this is really right effort. So, you know, those uh, four aspects of right effort, you know, encouraging what's wholesome in the mind when there are wholesome thoughts in the mind, mental states, you, you try to keep that going. And when they're unwholesome kind of mental states, you, you learn how to let it go and, and you learn how to keep the unwholesome from arising. And I think it's really interesting, you know, because that's right effort. The Buddha is not talking about right effort being like, you know, 10 hours on the cushion in one go. It's, it's really about mental states. So this is, you know, hopefully some encouragement to really be willing to notice those toxic patterns and to, you know, see that the Buddha really hit upon all these things and that, well, it hasn't changed in 2,500 years. We're still, <laughs> the, the human mental processes are really still pretty similar. And to, and to um, investigate this, come up with methods or, or make use of the methods that you find in the suttas. And, you know, there, there are other ways that the mind changes. I really think it's kind of in two categories. We change sometimes because of insight, like something becomes clear because of deep meditation and all of the other work with our moral uh, behavior and everything. And then we just, there, there's a big like shift in the mind, 
But the other way that things change is through a practice, through a through a concerted effort to apply um, ourselves to changing what we're doing. And you know, we can change our verbal habits, and I'm sure you've seen that in yourself. We can change our actions, and we can also change our habits of thinking. And we and this is really. Um, it's freeing, it's, it's leading us to be more like that fifth person. And then at the end of the sutta, it says, and then gradually this person becomes more like this fifth person, you know, gradually, which is very encouraging. You know, it's not all just like a bolt of lightning hits and then suddenly we're awake. <laughs> you know, we really do gradually make progress. So thank you for listening. And I see a couple of hands are up. Karen? Thank you for your talk. Um, I have a question. So um, Buddha had a mind of no praise, no blame. Where would regret come in with a mindset of that? The Buddha didn't have a mind of no praise, no blame. He talked about praise and blame. He said that we should mm -hmm. praise what's worthy of praise and blame what's worthy of blame. And if we don't do those, that's a mistake on our part. So he definitely encouraged us to know what's wholesome and what's unwholesome and to call it out uh, in that way to make sure that, you know, we are ourselves staying on the wholesome side and that we help our friends also stay on the wholesome side. So the kind of regret that there is a place for is the actually, yeah, I, I made that mistake or I did that thing out of whatever greed, hatred or delusion, and I'm going to make a determination to not do that again. And that's the wholesome way, but you let it go. You don't let it continue to kind of fester and and suffer with it. Yeah, thank you, Karen. Lisa? Thank you, Naya, for that beautiful guided meditation and the talk. And I think you might have just answered my question. I was just a little confused about your talk in your talk. It seemed like the regret was mostly um, a defilement or at best kind of a distraction. Um, anyway, um, I understand um, how many kinds of what you're calling regret can be um, just too much concern with self and bring um, us down. But I, I was kind of waiting for the some kind of what I think of as regret and maybe it's just a matter of wording but um, I think regret is really important it has been for me for recognizing that I've done wrong or um, you know just done something unskillful and and thinking about how I can um, change the way I act in the future or maybe make amends yeah, totally. I mean, that's the idea of noticing these different poly words. So we, we translate them as regret or remorse, but the poly is very clearly different. So hiri is 
I mean, it used to get translated as moral shame, which that brings up some unfortunate things for us too. Um, but good conscience, a con- having a conscience and looking at what we've done. So it's really clear in the monastic code. So we have all these rules. We need to be mindful of them when we transgress, if you want to use that word, when we break a rule in some way, then we keep track of that. We talk it through with uh, a bhikkhuni sister. You have to do that before the recitation of a padimokha because you need to come to that situation pure. So you talk it through, you acknowledge what you did, you recommit uh, to like making your best effort to not fall into that again. And then you proceed and you let it go. And then even the words are, I'm pure in this. So you've let it go. So that's the distinction. And so the Buddha is saying, okay, that's what, that's what Hiri and Otapa are. And Otapa is looking at the future. I don't want to do that unwholesome thing again. So those two are pillars of support. It's important that we use them. But this is a different thing. This is a... This is a, like, it's got a lot of worry involved in it, self involved in it. This is where you're going over and over something that you can't change from the past, that it's, it's really a reinforcement of identity, identity, and you're identifying with this thing you did. And so how many times do we do that? We identify as a certain kind of person. We identify as even if it, whether it's considered good or bad, we're still stuck in it. So it's, it, that's where it's nice using Sutta Central. You see that word, regret or remorse. You can look up the Pali. You can see, well, what, what is he talking about here? Is it, is it Kukacha, which is the hindrance of regret? Or is it, this one is V-I-P-P-A-T-I-S-A-R. Um, in this sutra, it's I. It could have different endings because of the grammar, but it's you know vipatisara, and it's it's a it's a like it's this thing. Then to understand like what are these words? How do these words really appear in our experience? That's the what's the real meaning? And so to see like okay, you did something wrong, and you and you're having this unwholesome regret about it. What does that look like? So you yourself, you're like, hey, there's a wholesome regret. Yeah, <laughs> but it's not this kind. <laughs> so it's good. This is the way we start to understand better what the Buddha was telling us. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Grace? I um, really appreciate that you brought up having patience with ourselves as we work with our defilements. And I guess I wanted to ask more about that patience and developing that patience um, because I often find myself so frustrated that I haven't learned the lesson yet. And I guess, yeah, um, I know, I, I, I guess I know that the only way really out to out of that lesson is to just learn what I can from it and keep going. Um, is there anything else that you could offer as advice or encouragement for that? Yeah, I think we need to do a lot of um, non-egoistic 
patting ourselves on the back. I think we have to, like, it's really important to acknowledge the good that we're doing and to remind ourselves of it often. We're trying to bring ourselves into balance. And it depends on kind of like what our conditioning has been. So if our conditioning has been, and I've seen this in people, they don't acknowledge anything they've ever done wrong and they just bust their way through life. <laughs> they need to start thinking about what they've done <laughs> a bit more, you know, but then there's those of us who have been so conditioned to really be unhappy with ourselves for whatever we're doing wrong. And then, you know, we, we get stuck in that, in that side. And that's even true of not acknowledging enough or seeing enough our progress or being upset with ourselves for not, you know, having gotten it yet, <laughs> you know, like it's still there. If we can take a couple steps back and see it as a process more than as something about us, we have more patience, I think. Um, and to, to really like appreciate that this is the way the practice is for everybody, you know, like this is just the process. I've probably spent lifetimes developing this mental habit. It's going to take some time to unravel it. I'm actually probably making leaps and bounds of progress, given the amount of time that this thing has been hanging around in the background, you know, in my, in my consciousness. So yeah, whatever you can do to encourage and to appreciate the progress that we make. And, you know, the whole idea of this training the mind to be happy is seeing these places where we get hung up and working with letting them go, but really being kind to ourselves and really appreciating when the mind is happy and free that that is a good thing. Uh, happy and at ease. Ajahn Gunha said it so many, he says it constantly, be happy and at ease. And, you know, and then he'll also say, you have to really do this, you know, <laughs> <laughs> clean your bathroom, you know, or whatever, you know, don't be lazy, you know, but, you know, it's, it's like how, how you like, you know, do that work and still be happy in these. Can we take it a little more lightly? Like, oh yeah, there's that one again. Okay. One more time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's what I got at the moment. <laughs> Thank you, Grace. Denny? Well, as what often happens here is things happen to me in real time. And I was just noticing that I, once I raised my hands, I regretted it. Oh. And, <laughs> because I, because I, I didn't know what I was going to say. And, and I, and I thought like, well, I'm regretting something that wasn't unwholesome to raise my hand. But then I, but thanks to your talk. I thought, oh, what's the defilement in 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 this? Uh, and it just made me drop into a place of just seeing what's going on with me right now. And um, and I I I 
your 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 guided meditation was very powerful uh, for me. At, um, because I started to see something that I've understood from an intellectual point of view in in this practice that I, <clears throat> that it's really you're either all in or you're not in at all. It feels like this is not a part time thing, <laughs> and I think I've been fooling myself, thinking like, well, I can practice the precepts sometimes, but not all the time. <laughs> and uh, and it feels like in order to really lead a life, to really suffer less, that at a much deeper level to give myself to, because I have this view that I, I can't change this, you know, this regrets that I have over, I don't even know what they are. There's just sort of like this sort of general feeling of like, I can't change something in my past. And I, I begin to think, oh, I have to give that up. Of course I can change. Like, duh. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but gradually and, uh, and there's a, I just wanted to mention, there's a line in the big book of AA that uh, after you've done this, most of the steps, it says, you will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. So thanks. Yeah, thank you, Denny. Lovely. Joyce? Well, like Denny just said, I'm feeling regret about raising my hand, but I'm going to forge on here. Um, <clears throat> I have really spent a lot of time in shame and regret and looking and in my life. And I have recently found a resource that has been so enormously helpful to me. And it's actually based on the Maji Manakaya 19 and 20, which you had just referenced. And I was wondering if it would be okay for me to mention the title of the book. It's just, yeah. it's filled with really practical suggestions for ways to deal with these um, really not very helpful ways of thinking. You know, the, the one through five that you were just talking about. I wanted to ask your permission before I go ahead and. Yeah, it's Charlotte Catherine's book. What's the title? It is, and it's so enormously powerful, and it has exercises that are extremely practical that you can do at any time. All beyond distraction. Beyond distraction. Okay. Let's see it. Beyond distraction. Five practical ways to focus the mind, and it's very rooted in the Buddhist teaching. She does yeah, not. It's, it's the two uh, suttas, number 19. And 20. Two kinds of thought and 20. It's two kinds of thought are the first one. So yeah, and the, and first the, distinguishing wholesome from unwholesome. And then you go into these five strategies which build on one another. Yep. You don't dive in and start with number five. You go through one and you really get very... Um, deeply understanding of that before you move on to number two. And it is so, there are messages in there particularly about um, 
releasing that self-identity. It just kind of permeates underneath the surface of the book as she goes through. It's just enormously powerful. Great, thank you. Oh, thank you, Kay Matana. I appreciate your posting that. So that's all I want to say, but I've just had so many breakthroughs as a result of doing this, this study and practice. That's great. That's exactly what we want. We want to, and particularly, we each have to find what method works for us. It's kind of like what I was getting at with the Brahma Viharas. You know, we each have to find what it is that's going to help the mind go into that state. And when we, you know, use, you know, just like we've been saying, the Brahma Viharas practice is one good example of how we shift the state of our mind and we can break patterns this way. And so thank you, Joyce. I, yeah, I have and just, book, and just to say that Shaila actually offers numerous ways to address each of those, those areas where you're stuck. She doesn't just have one solution. There's many ways you find the one that works for you. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, thank you, Haya. Holly? I appreciate you drawing out um, a couple of the facets of remorse and regret, the Hiri and Otapa, and then Wipatasari or Wipatisari? Wipatisari. Or Vipatisara. T-I. Yeah, it's um, V-I-P-P-A-T-I. And the T has a dot under it, so it's kind of a reflexive, I think. I-S, long A-R-A, or long A-R-I, depending on the grammar. And then I was looking at the... Sutta, which is Bhikkhu Bodhis, and reading the taints born of taints born of volition are found in you, and taints born of remorse increase. Please abandon the taints born of volition and dispel the taints born of okay. remorse. And those three things, like the Hiri and Otapa, the Vipatisari, and this that clause, are are really interesting trifecta for me in handling my own remorse and I'm just getting my mind around it mm -hmm. if you could speak a little bit more about the uh sorry I'd appreciate it Thanks. yeah I mean I think well I I looked up like where it shows up in the suttas and you know there are those suttas where someone is gravely ill and one of the disciples of the Buddha or the Buddha himself goes to the monk or whatever who's basically dying and they say, you know, I hope you're feeling better and the pains are getting less. And the person says, no, they're not. It's really getting worse. And, and then they say, I hope you don't have any regret. And it's this vipatisari regret. And it's like, I hope you don't have any of this unwholesome regret. And the person says, but I have a lot of that. And they'll talk about, like, I haven't been able to come to see you for such a long time. And the Buddha's like, oh, forget that. You don't need to see this body. It's just falling apart anyway, you know, that kind of thing. Or in one way or another, making them feel better. And there's another sutta where this kind of regret comes up. And, and it's around um, 
how we should give feedback to someone else. You know, that it should be done in a way that's kind. It should be true. It should be um, for a good purpose. It should, you know, like, you know, those five different and timely. And then, you know, if we give, if someone gives feedback to somebody and it's not like that, they're harsh or they're, uh, it's at the wrong time or in some way it's not a good, good way to deliver the feedback. The Buddha said, you should go to the person who just was told off and this is what you should say to them, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't done properly. They shouldn't have said that to you at this time, or they shouldn't have said it to you in that harsh way or whatever, or it's not true what they're saying, whatever it is, don't feel regret. Don't feel this vipatisari. And it's like, it's like we even should encourage each other not to feel this wrong kind of regret. So what this is, it's incumbent upon us as practitioners to figure out the difference. What's the wholesome kind of heary conscience, knowing I've done something, reflecting on it, like Lisa was talking about, or what is this unwholesome kind where you're like really feeling hurt maybe by this words that this person has said, and you're really going over that in your mind, or you have the potential of being caught up in that going over that in your mind and to help each other not do that so yeah keep investigating thank you holly okay friends the time's up but um the love keeps flowing